All right, welcome to another episode of Tunes Mate. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And on this episode, we get an opportunity to catch up with Jim Brickman. That's right. I guess I would say a superstar composer. I mean, he's definitely world-renowned and has been Grammy-nominated and has had the opportunity to work with people like Michael W. Smith all the way down to, believe it or not, Donny Osmond. It was kind of cool to kind of understand his philosophy, how he writes songs and puts things together. And one of the things that jumped out to me sitting down and talking with Jim Brickman and his producer, Bob, which was interesting, is really started talking about the fact that when he's writing music, the environment really is impacting the way he's writing the songs. Because when he sits down and he's at soundcheck and he's on another instrument, it impacts the way he actually writes, which I thought was pretty cool. Really? Explain, what you mean by another instrument? So the instrument that he's recording on actually influences the way he writes? Yeah. So he was saying, like, when he's going through a sound check, when he's writing on the piano there, it actually inspires him to write music because he said that if he always is composing music on the same piano, there's only so many songs on that piano. So when he's out and he's at a sound check and he's somewhere else in another environment, it actually inspires him to write new music because of the surroundings and where he's at and the environment, which I've, I've never really heard that, but I can see where that can come from. Yeah, that makes, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? The idea, it's kind of like the idea that, you know, you go from one workplace to another and, you know, you, you seem like. Maybe you felt like you got into a rut working one place and you know somebody switches jobs and suddenly they feel inspired, right? They're in a new environment. They, they do it in sports all the time. The idea that you went to a new ballpark or you got onto a new team and it, it kind of gave you a new environment for that led somebody to have more success. And so I, I can see the same kind of idea. I mean, as somebody who's you know tried to write songs before and even as somebody who writes other things, like you know I write essays, I write more written works, I can see the idea that where I write, whether I write at home, I write in the office, I write at a coffee shop. I mean, we have whole industries that are based off that idea, right? That you go to the coffee shop and you write, or you go to the library and you find that little nook and you're able to to write there. And so the same kind of idea with songwriting really kind of makes a lot of sense. And then he also talked about that when he's thinking about writing for someone's specific so he said he had an opportunity to write a song for kenny rogers so he was thinking about his style and he said well he didn't want kenny to sing like him (laughs) so he actually went and started thinking about his vocal style and wrote around that and i think that's also interesting too is when you you sit down you go well i'm going to try to write it in this style you know that that makes a lot of sense too i i think about the times here and there, I mean, I don't write music regularly anymore, but lyrics come to me and a kind of tune will come to me here and there. And inevitably, the way that I hear it in my head or I sing it out, I'll associate it with a certain artist and I'll say, you know, that sounds like something that Bon Jovi would do or that sounds like you know, something that John Legend would do or, you know, you, you name it like that. And so the idea that you would think of, OK, here's what an artist does. and so if I'm going to work with that artist, I'm going to maintain a style. And that, that certainly makes sense because artists 
I mean, there are artists who can gravitate around various styles with more ease than other artists, but a lot of times artists have styles because that's what works best with their voice, their range, you know, things like that. And so, okay, this is what works for me. So you're going to then have uh, songs that are arranged in a way that, that works with them. And of course you can, you know, we have a lot of instances where you take a song and you just arrange it differently so that put in a different key, make the, the instrumentation a little bit different, the, the rhythm a little bit different to meet one artist versus another. And so it would make a lot of sense that you would do that same kind of thing when you're working with an artist. You know, certainly everything we're talking about, you know, you talk about Jim being a, a superstar. I mean, he's certainly, a, as you said, sort of a world-renowned artist, and he's had a lot of success with this. So it's fascinating to think about his process and, and what makes this work for him, and especially when you talk about the environment affecting his songwriting or influencing his songwriting, that he's had success as an adult contemporary artist. He's had success as a new age artist. He's crossed over a little bit in, in, onto the pop chart, a little bit into the country chart. But those places, adult contemporary, new age, where ambiance really matters, right? Where the sound and the environment are fundamental to the music. Yeah. And it was really interesting. He started describing, he's got a bunch of standards that if you think of him as an artist, there are certain songs that he has to blend into his show. And one of them, we were talking about you know, the Michael W. Smith song, Love of My Life. And he said when he started writing it, he really wanted like an everyday person song, a song that the voice wasn't like a Celine Dion. He wanted kind of that Brian Adams kind of raspy kind of sound because it was like someone was talking to you, your husband or your significant other. He wanted that to emulate through the song. So there actually was even more thought process behind, ah, I'm just, just writing this song. There's, like you said, that environment, the way it's manufactured or centered around creating that type of vibe was just fascinating you just take for granted that when you're listening to a song that song is played at tons of wedding receptions it still is and there's a reason why because there's a lot of thought process that went into making that one of the most romantic standards that is heard for many many years mm -hmm. i mean that really shows you the work that goes into this that record composers recording artists producers these people work hard, they do their research, they do the audience analysis, the market analysis, the just the like, sort of the environmental analysis to say, okay, here's what we want out of this. What do we have to do on all of these different levels from who sings it to what kind of instrumentation are we going to have to what's the sort of tempo of the song going to be? What's the, the main riff or even just the what kind of feel do we want to the melody? All of that kind of stuff. A lot of thought goes into that. A lot of work goes into that. And it, I'm fascinated to hear what he has to say about this stuff. Cool. Well, let's go listen to the Jim Brickman interview and wrap up this episode. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Two's Mate. I am here with extraordinary composer, producer, I think I would just say superhero of Wow. Thank of, you so much, Mark. I, I have to say that is one of the greatest intros I've ever gotten. And it's Bob. <laughs> oh, yes. 
<laughs> Wait a minute. I think you might have been talking about. Uh, was my chair some, position yeah, incorrectly? No, no, I thought I was. Was sure what side no, I'm looking. No, I'm at. sorry. You know, I've always got to be jokey McJoker time. I know. Well, I'm here at Jim Brickman's studio, and I have the opportunity to sit beside two great <laughs> people that understand how entertainment should be run. That's true. Yeah, I think that. I think that is true. <laughs> See? The first part that's, wasn't that's what for me, but yeah, right. <laughs> we just rewind that and maybe backmast it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what's fascinating is music is something that just keeps changing, evolving, and I've seen that as you, Jim, as a musical artist. There's been so many things that I've seen from your first album all the way up to where we are here, and you've continually evolved. You've changed with the times. And I'm just interested. Part of the podcast is to really understand, one, how do we stop listening to the same songs that we listen to every single day? Mm. Even these streaming services are spitting off these, well, you listen to this. Here's all the same songs again. And within your catalog, you have so many great songs. But I imagine when you perform, you have to think about, well, I've got to play this hit or that hit. Yeah, yeah. So what's some of your methodology when you're putting together a live performance of all the great songs that you've put together? Do you have to really think about what I did last time? Or is it theme-based? What goes into putting together a playlist when you're playing live? Well, you do. You want to play the hits. And I want to play them because uh, they're my songs. You know, as a songwriter, that's a big distinction when you ask an artist about what they like to sing or play. If they are the songwriter, it is a very different desire to play it than if you are, you know, singing a song that was written by somebody else, but you're known for that song. Because then you're really just interpreting someone else's work, which uh, which is, is fine. It's just that as a performer, it's easier to do it if you wrote the songs yourself and you don't get tired of it so i want to do a lot of those and like most people in any walk of life you get into a little bit of a rut like we were talking about certain songs that you know people love and that i love playing that end up in the playlist and i know that they're common because my whole crew knows okay so then you're gonna play oh you're gonna play this oh you're gonna play you're gonna play timeless i love thomas okay that's going in and then you realize it's been in like every show for the past (laughs) like five years because you don't time you don't really think about it you you just you you know you're just playing the show but sometimes it's it's fun we added a song last christmas time that i had never had and that was a deep cut that i just happened to be playing on stage one night at soundcheck and so that went in and now people love it but you get addicted to knowing what people connect to right well and and the song you're talking about is winter waltz which is now one of my favorite songs i mean it's it is it is just beautiful and i think it's a great way to introduce people to new music and that's probably the way to do it is you surround it with the hits like um for instance like neil young his would go out and play a concert and just do a whole album of new material on some like environmental concept album and everybody's like you know play southern man and he you know wouldn't do it and so everybody leaves upset where mm-hmm. i think if he would have played his hits and then exposed people to the new stuff that's how you get like oh that was a new song i like that i'm going to go buy the album now yeah. or i'm going to go seek that out yeah. but you have to really believe that you're not doing it in a self-indulgent way when a performer's on stage and they say i want to play it i don't you know whether you like it or not it does you know i don't think that way i always think about what the audience's experience is going to be i don't do it for myself because not only is it self-indulgent to do that it's also a lot of times it doesn't work in other words they clap politely but 
you know whether it's something really personal and, and inward when you write it. You think there's for public consumption and then there's for something that I might like, but not everything is for a commercial endeavor mm-hmm. like a concert which is that that is what it is you you're there to people please you're there to give variety to have people laugh and enjoy and you have emotional connection and if they have an emotional connection to the song like a lot of the hits that you're talking about it's hard to get them to like something that's new just because it's not familiar interesting throughout that you talked about like the deep connection with the audience and when you're playing your songs and you're having that deep connection do you get inspiration when you're on stage have you ever like written when you're you said even you're playing in a sound check mm-hmm. oh do, yeah do songs come during very sound so. checks and on stage yes, like very much so. how does that creative process work for you the reason songs come from sound check is because i think the environment being in a different environment creates different thoughts, feelings, and you know, sound. And so depending on what kind of piano you're playing, where you are, what time of day it is, it's not like going to the same piano every day. I don't like that because I feel like it does restrict your thinking. It, it's like a bubble. If, you know, if I went to the same piano every single day, every day, I would almost feel like it was out of songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like It's like riding a horse. Okay, it's, you know, we've had our life together or something. But which is not to say that great things will come out from my piano of course they do but things that i would never have thought of at my piano that i think of in a different environment that's fascinating so the actual instrument itself kind of has a life that resonates back there's kind of like some spirit that's Mm -hmm. there and i do notice around your studio you have various pianos so that's interesting that you probably pull from that as well. And when you're writing, for example, I know you've made hits, collaborated with so many folks. We're, we're talking Michael W. Smith, all the way down to Martina McBride, and, and even Donny Osmond's on there. So does the piano speak when you're like, oh my gosh, I now have to call Michael W. Smith. This song meets that. Or is it more or less that you're thinking, maybe I just need to collaborate with someone just like you're thinking about collaborating with a different instrument that you're thinking I need to collaborate with a different artist to create a different sound. Well, sometimes you write to the artist that you are thinking you want to work with. Like that happened with Kenny Rogers. I wanted him to sing one of my songs. So I wrote towards what I think he might sing rather than try to make him sound like me uh, and then other times it's collaborative. Like I wrote a song with John Andrasic from Five for Fighting. So he sang the song because so it was not only an artist collaboration, but a writer collaboration. So that evolves out of just the natural writing process. And then of course, it's it suits him because he co-wrote it. So that's one way of doing it. And then uh, sometimes it is like a song like Love of My Life that you were talking about, Michael W. Smith. In my When I was writing it, I heard like a Brian Adams type voice, kind of raspy and sound like a kind of like a regular guy would talk. I wanted somebody who wasn't really a great, great singer. (laughs) Is that terrible to say? But not like a technique singer, like a Celine Dion, where it's uh, half of what she does is technique, at least half. It's not as, it's just wow. I can't believe she's hitting that note or holding that note out. It's an unbelievable instrument. That's not the same as interpreting a song. So I wanted somebody that sounded more like a guy who was your husband or your boyfriend or some somebody who was just talking to you. Yeah. And so you want a singer that sing talks more than you want a singer who's, you know, holding out big notes and performing. 
that makes sense and that song i know that was one of the most romantically played songs at weddings yeah for many years still still it still is. is And uh, and I sing it as well quite often in the show. I don't actually like singing that song that much. Hmm. I much prefer singing the gift or simple things. I don't know what it is about about the song. I just it doesn't. It's a hard song for me personally to sing. I don't know why. Yeah, and I recently signed up for your mailing list where you actually get the song to download, which yeah. I would highly recommend everybody out there to do that. <laughs> but I noticed that one of the last tracks was you exactly singing one of your, your biggest hits that was, uh, was it was it Valentine? I'm trying to think of the well, song. Well, I just that did was... a, an entire album where I'm singing every song that were hits for the 25th anniversary. So I'm. it's the first time I did a record where I was singing that's great. And how, so that's this is where the new challenge will come. Yes, for, for your very much so. It's hard, but you always need one, right? And I've also noticed that throughout your career, you've also done some interesting. Like you talked about the holiday album. I know you had a meditate album that mm-hmm. was out there for a while. So when you're working on a project like that, because I know for me, I'm always searching for just like apps and other things. You know, what's some other music I can bring into my life? Whether that's yoga. Or whether I'm thinking about, hey, it's the holidays. I know you've got many various holiday albums that are out there. What happens when you approach a project like that? Is is that something? Is that like a new challenge that you're searching for, or you're you're trying to? It's more like like you described. It's about giving the audience a little bit of help in finding it. In other words, rather than me doing an, an album of all solo piano music that would be called Jim Brickman the Piano which doesn't really explain, it says it's me, but it doesn't tell people who don't know me what kind of music it is. It could be classical, it could be jazz. But if you call it Soothe for meditation, then people can discover it, and it's a subgenre of what I do. It could be the same content that would be on Jim Brickman, The Piano, but people, because of the culture and the way people search and the way that people find music, you sort of retrofit the concept to the content yeah so it's about that presentation and i think that's something key a lot of people are searching for audiences trying to figure out like we were talking earlier i keep listening to the same music over and over and over i think about even around the holidays you put it on and there's your top 10 hits that everyone keeps listening yeah, to. Yeah, and how do you find the others? Right. Playlisting helps that a lot too. People discover it on, mm-hmm. on playlisting on Spotify or something like that. And I know you've got a playlist out there. Yeah, man, many. Yeah, mm-hmm. we try our best. But, you know, you want to just keep writing. Right now I'm working on a Bossa Nova record. Uh, I love Bossa Nova. And so, you know, it's uh, there's a lot. And... Um, but people find it in a great ways these days because, again, they search for what they like. It didn't used to be that. You know, when I first started out, if you didn't hear it on the radio like a, a hit, you had no way to let people know you had an album. Now, soothing piano music. Up comes Jim Brickman, you know, hopefully. That's great. Well, just two more questions for you. Number one is you talked about writing for artists. Is there any artists that you're dreaming about writing for now? You know, there's so many amazing artists and, and talents. Some... Are on a list that I love their music, but I don't even know that they would be right for me. But I still think that they they would be great. I talked to Steve Perry about singing a song of mine. I really want him to sing one of my songs. I think that would be great. I'm supposed to write a song with Burt Bacharach, which would be an you know amazing thing. He's 92 years old, and so I'm 
we, I've talked to him about it and I'm just trying to get it to happen. That would be a, an amazing experience for me just as a songwriter. I always wanted to write for Dolly Parton. I always wanted, she's such an amazing musician, people don't realize because it's what's front facing is sort of caricature of, of itself, you know, and she's so beloved. But musically, she, I don't think she gets the, the what she deserves when it comes to her talent. But she's always been on, on my list. And, you know, any great singer, Barbara Streisand, Celine Dion, people who can just take something and, and turn it magnificent. Excellent. And when's the album with Bob? <laughs> well, we do the album with Bob actually every week. Because yeah. in the Brickmanizer, where I am supposed to be playing a solo piano piece of a cover, yeah, he sings. I can't help myself. So technically, so, we probably yeah. have an album. We do have an album's worth of material. I like this. I, uh, I recommend our take on Van Halen's Jump. It was classic. But honestly, he's a really good singer. It's it's It's... It's not great, but it's like, you know what you're saying, like getting, so if you need somebody to sing one of your songs that doesn't sound like a really trained singer, that sounds like your you're everyday hit, guy, Jim. that's, I could, but you're I also, could do that. But you're also good at parodies and imitating. Right. You're good at characters. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Like what would my voice sound like right. if I just that's sang? Right. Yeah. I have no idea. It's, that's a hard one. Yeah. Who am I? You yeah. know what I mean? When it comes to. You know, what do you have to say to the world? Yeah. Why is somebody interested in, in what you're creating? That's a, you know, a lot of up-and-coming mm-hmm. singers have that challenge. I'm much more authentic as a guitar player. That's where. He's a great guitar, guitar player. Too. A lot of great things to look forward to. So jimbrickman.com? Yes, of course. And, and then all the channels, right? Light it up. Everything that's out yeah, there. Cameo. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. Cameo, that's Spotify, music. TikTok. We have a TikTok yeah. channel. Yep. And, uh... Pandora, yeah. iHeartRadio. Not only the Jim Brickman radio show, but then there's you've also got a podcast. I mean, there's so many things to get to know Jim Brickman mm-hmm. that you should not be bored. No. <laughs> We're not, so hopefully no. nobody else. Will. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, Jim. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Mark. All right, welcome back from this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Jim Brickman. You know, Ray, I'm looking up at Tunesmay right now, and we've got title, title. Just wondering, we've got Without You as this week's title, title. Motley Crue, you remember 1990. Yeah. Then Mariah Carey, 1994. She did her remake of, was it Nilsson? And then yep. the latest edition jumped out was David Guetta with Usher without you right so you've got these three songs there's probably many more but these three seem to really jump out to me which one did you pick i'm having trouble deciding if you put the original nilson one in there that's going to be my pick i think uh mariah carey did a fine you know fine remake of it you know it wasn't bad in any way i thought the original not that it was better but it's just the original and you know the remake was fine it just wasn't something that was overcame the original also, I'm I'm par- a little partial to Harry Nilsson because he was a Brooklyn Dodger fan, and I do research on the Brooklyn Dodgers, so I'm, I'm gonna he's, that's gonna give him the edge. I mean, I remember the Motley Crue song though, although you know we used to make fun of it. It sounded like he was saying "without chew," but I, you know I remember that one pretty fondly. I'll go with Mariah Carey simply because of the uh, the connection to to Harry Nilsson. What about you? Yeah, I had a hard one on this one too because I actually did like Harry's song. I was going to put it in the mix, but I was trying to kind of keep it 
you know, nineties kind of today kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I actually went with the David Guetta Usher song just because I wanted something a little more upbeat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's just something about that song. I don't know what it is. They all were actually, I think they're all top 10 songs. It was just, it's just one of those songs where I kind of tap my toe and it kind of puts me in a good mood. The other ones kind of make me sad a little bit. So I was looking for something a little bit on the, the upper end. But it's interesting how we probably could have looped in many other Without You songs here. And that's mm-hmm. the fascinating thing about it. If you look at it, all three of those songs are completely different. <laughs> we have One's heavy metal. You've got Motley Crue, which I think is funny because Motley Crue is really known for heavy metal and hardcore songs. I mean, really. And then Mariah Carey in her career started moving more in kind of the hip hop R and B kind of thing. But David is still kind of consistent, that kind of upbeat mainstream EDM kind of sound. Yeah. You know, that's fascinating what you talk about the, this was sort of Mariah Carey before the change. This was her, original style that she became famous with following up from vision of love and love takes time and hero and all, you know, it really, her remake of that really fits in line with that before she kind of changed her style a little bit in the mid to late nineties. And the Motley Crue, you're right. You know, they're remembered for smoking in the boys room and girls, 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 and all that other stuff. Although, you know, the other big thing they're known for is home sweet home. And that was another big ballad like that. So they could whip out the ballad though. I think your other point is it kind of relates back to the Brickman interview. The idea that here are these different songs with the same title, and it kind of reflects that idea. You can take this idea, right, the idea of a song title, and turn it into different kinds of environments, different kinds of messages, different kinds of feels. And each of these songs does that. In the interview, Jim also does many things. I mean, he's got his own podcast. He's got his own radio show. He travels around doing concerts and has different ways to connect with his audience. And that's the other thing. Just like all of these three artists, they're constantly trying to reinvent themselves. I think Motley Crue, they put out their biopic. Now they're back out on tour with Def Leppard and Joan Jed. And, you know, they're like, oh, we're back. Or forget our contract. We're never going to play again. And then Mariah, she just surpassed, I'm pretty sure her record now with her Christmas songs, you know, All I Want for Christmas is You, really now it's kind of like she's known as, oh, I'm the I'm the holiday lady. <laughs> and then you think about David, where that whole genre, he's constantly trying to team up with other artists and trying to take them to another level and reinventing himself. So yeah, you get on a great point there that all this music is constantly trying to, you know, try to refactor and bring themselves back into the limelight. Yeah. Well, in Mariah Carey's case, I think the, camera uh, it was a record, I think it was the record that she hit number one in four different decades because the Christmas song held number one over the Christmas season this year. And I'm not sure if anybody's ever done that before. Shows you the staying power. Yeah, this is true. I guess it's just her and Weird Al that's left. I guess that's, that's all we got. Maybe Elton John, if he uh, if he comes back again. Well, this has been great. Another episode of Tunes, mate. We wanted to remind you that we are everywhere. We are on Spotify. We are out there on iTunes podcasts. 
you could definitely subscribe if you just go to our blog, Tunesmate, and look for the podcast banner or search for podcast. But this is our way to connect with you. We've been doing the blog for over 10 years. We feature every day a daily 80s flashback. So you can get your daily 80s fix <laughs> that's there. Plus, we have contributors. Jose is doing a great job talking about vinyl and other playlists that he's exploring. And then there's always something coming out, whether it's a mashup or something else that you can explore, just trying to get you to think about other things. We will see you next time. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast. And once again, I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And we will see you next time.